Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I wish I would have had my phone up here with me because that was really cool to watch. And there's something special when we take time and pray with each other, whether we don't know each other that well or we're married to each other. So good job, guys. Test one of this week is complete. But welcome back to week two of our Remnant series. I am super pumped. Like Peyton said, it's a good Sunday to be in church, but not just because I'm preaching. (laughs) But I just know the Lord has something so special here today. So if you were here with us last week, Chris kicked us off with a phenomenal message. Um, And you were left with making the choice on whether or not you wanted to be part of the remnant. And if you weren't here um, or you need a refresher course, go back and listen, either on Facebook or our podcast, because it's something you don't want to miss out on. Um, I think it's just super important and super vital of the time that we're in and specifically in our church. Um, But last week was kind of like our who in this series And I get to define like our what or why, and not because we're in English class writing papers, (laughs) but I think it's important to understand our why behind, if we are choosing to be a part of the remnant, we need to know why we are choosing that. And the remnant is biblically defined as um, what is left of a people after a catastrophe or a tragedy. And so last week, if you stood up and made that choice, You might not feel like you are on the other side of a catastrophe or tragedy or going through that right now, Um, but our world is in a place of tragedy, and we can't be blind to that anymore, Um, and we have to be ready to engage in the battle. And so uh, last week, Chris gave us that, that nudge to take the step forward and to be a part of this battle, and we get the... If you said yes, you get the choice to be on the front lines. But it's not about you. Ephesians 6.12 says a battle, um, it's not, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and world powers of this darkness, which I think is significant, against spiritual forces of the evil in the heavens. And if you left last week and you felt uneasy, on whether or not you said yes or no, or you don't know what you signed up for, or you don't know where to go next, I want to encourage you that you are called to this. God wants you to be a part of this. He needs you to be a part of it, and you are chosen to be a part of it. Even if it's not about you, it's all about him. He wants to use you. As I was driving yesterday, This has been something significant in my life, and so I think someone else here needs to hear it today, is that you are a mouthpiece for the Lord. And it is time for you to use your voice. And there's someone sitting here this morning who's going to be a voice for the voiceless. And we need you. The church needs you. The kingdom of heaven needs you. I think about the verse in 1 Peter Or it says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Guys, they were probably freaking out, like about to poop themselves. 
Because for them to be called a royal priesthood, that is significant. And it's significant because before Jesus, the priests were the people who went to God on behalf of the people. And they were considered deemed like clean and righteous in the eyes of God so that they were able to perform the sacrifices. And so that is significant, that you are called a royal priesthood and you don't have to have somebody go to God on your behalf anymore. Yes, interceding for people is important. But we have access to him. And he wants us to come to him. And I'm sometimes that way where I'm like, ooh, not good enough. Can't, can't go to God with that. And I think we probably all, all are. But this verse just reminds me that I am chosen by him. And there's a reason why you are here this morning or why you scrolled by on Facebook and stopped and listened for just a moment. Don't stop listening now. Because Jesus has something here for you this morning. And he wants you to open up your heart and be ready. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. Man, (laughs) we thank you that we have the freedom to gather together, to worship you, to hear your word. And Lord, may we not take that for granted anymore. We are coming out of a season where us as a church, we weren't able to meet together, Lord, but there are still churches that aren't allowed to meet together, aren't allowed to publicly worship you. Jesus, may our hearts break for what is happening right now. Give us tender, responsive hearts, but give us bold spirits to go out and do what you ask of us. And Lord, May the words that come out of my mouth today not be of my flesh. May they only be of you and what you need your people to hear and the action that you need them to take. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. A few months ago, I was riding a train to St. Louis alone, and most people know this about me, but if you don't, I don't love being alone. I grew up the oldest of five children, and then I have three step-siblings on top of that, in which I am still the oldest. And so the only time growing up you got alone time was maybe in the shower. And now looking back, that's not so true because my sister and I, like, couldn't handle being alone, so one of us would sit in there and talk to the other one while they were showering. Which now I'm like, nobody come in the bathroom while I'm showering, please. And this actually happened this week. I was like, take, trying to take a shower, relax. And Colt came in. And he's like, um, Mom, I broke my coffee mug. I was like, what do you mean you broke your coffee mug? And he's like, well, I was taking my coffee out of the refrigerator, and it shattered, and it broke all, out, all over the floor. I was like, okay, grab a towel, clean it up. You got this. You're six and a half. <laughs> he came back, and he's like, the towel's not working. It's like, what do you mean the towel is not working? It's like, go back and try again. He came back. He's like, the towel worked. I was like, cool. Now go get the spray and the paper towels. He's like, why do I do that? I just cleaned it up with a towel. I was like, 
because the floor is sticky because you drink coffee creamer <laughs> with a little bit of coffee. He's like, okay, um, where are the paper towels? I was like, the paper towels are on the counter where they always are. He came back, they're not there. I was like, go grab a new roll. Well, you got this, buddy. He's like, can't you do it when you get out? Nope, you got this. Eventually, the mess got cleaned up, but to prove that I don't get a much alone time. Um, so I'm not, I don't do well being alone. I actually avoid it at all costs. But here I was, sitting on a train for three hours by myself. So on the ride down, I planned to watch a movie. I had my laptop charged. I was ready to go, had my headphones, but I didn't charge my headphones. So I was going to be left being the person who watches a movie that everyone else can hear. But I was willing to do it because I don't often get to choose what I want to watch. So I was going to be that person. And then I couldn't figure out the Wi-Fi because I'm no Daryl Hedman or Dave Little. And tech savviness is not my strong suit in this world. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? If you've traveled anywhere through Illinois, it's all cornfields. So I was left staring out the window at all the beautiful cornfields Illinois has to offer. I love Illinois. But, and I wasn't intending on preparing to preach. Like, I knew I was preaching, but my intention of my alone time was not to prepare for today. Um, but as, as I was sitting there, I heard the Lord say, the remnant is not what is left over, it is what is secure. And as I think about that, that is probably true of like the cornfields when people harvest. Because the harvest is secure when they take that and then whatever is left in the field, they don't need, that's left over. And these words hit me, I just thought of that now. <laughs> but these words hit me so hard. And I didn't know what to do with them because I hadn't thought about what I was preaching on at all. So I kind of stuffed them in my back pocket. And over the next few days, I actually had a lot of alone time, just myself. And I got to use it to have some sweet communion with the Lord. Some good friends reminded me to take advantage of it. And I was reminded of a verse that I came across in the early weeks of our COVID quarantine. And it's Hebrews 12, 26 through 27. And it says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. These words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And I see those words, unshakable and secure, as interchangeable. Because secure means to be fixed or fastened so as to not give way, become loose, or be lost. The unshakable things are secure. And when I first, I haven't been able to shake this verse, and that's no pun intended, but the Lord was stirring something in me as we had these, like, 
quarantine weeks where as a family we chose not to really see that many people in regards to um, safety for my family. And I thought I had journaled about it. And so I was flipping back through my journal this week and I was like, man, this was so significant to me. Like I focused on this verse for probably a month. So I had to have journaled about it somewhere and I didn't. But I wrote in the margin of my Bible, I am shaking you so that you may be, so that you will be unshakable. And those are the words that the Lord spoke to me over and over again for a month. And I couldn't figure out their relevance or what they meant or what he was trying to do. And I definitely did not think it was going to be part of what the Lord put on my heart for today. Um, But man, he has taught me some cool things the past few weeks. And so I want you to think about what in your life, maybe in the past few months, um, you have felt God shaking off of you. And if you can't think of anything, that is okay. But I know that that shaking gets us to a place where our foundation is firm. And it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of pruning to build a firm foundation in Jesus. It's not like you decide to follow Jesus and all of a sudden you're good. You're standing on the solid rock and singing all the songs. (laughs) Not going to sing for you today. (laughs) Um, But I think of the verse that Chris brought up last week in John 15, and it's one of my favorite, and it talks about remaining in the Lord. But it talks about when we remain in him, the pruning that happens, and it only happens because we are remaining in him. And it is so vital to our life in following Jesus Because when you're shaken, you don't want to be standing in a pile of rubble. You don't want to be left distraught and hopeless. Rather, I want a firm foundation. And that firm foundation is only because of my hope in Jesus. And church, you got to listen to this because this is not for me. The only thing secure the definition of that word, fixed, not giving way, won't become loose. The only thing secure in this life is your eternity. And that is only because of Jesus. There is nothing that you do to earn your eternity besides making the choice to follow Jesus. But it is the only thing that is secure for your life here on earth. Everything else can crumble and fall. And Jesus will be the only thing that will remain time after time after time again. And I'm not going to say that word eternity means heaven for everybody because it doesn't. And I'm reading a book that Ryan Anderson suggested to me called Heaven. And I don't think I have spent much of my life thinking of the... the reality of what it means that your eternity is either heaven or it's hell. And I don't say that to scare people into following Jesus. I say it's because it's true. It's true and we need to hear it and we need to be woken up to the fact that if we don't choose to follow Jesus, heaven is not our eternity. We don't get the rest of 
eternity, forever, with Jesus. And there's actually a quote in that book that says, for people who choose to follow Jesus, life here on earth is the closest thing you'll experience to hell. Because it is the separation from the Father and what, where we were meant to be. But for people who don't follow Jesus, this world, this earth that we live on, is the closest thing they'll experience to heaven. And that is convicting. Over the past five years of my life, I will tell you, my foundation has not always been firm. And it took one really painful moment for me to realize how strong my faith actually is. See, for the past five years, actually longer than that, probably seven or eight since I've known my husband, um, I've known of Jesus, but I wasn't always passionately pursuing a relationship with him. And it took the pain of an abortion, near divorce, financial insecurity in our life, the desire to have another child but not being able to. It took years of pain and growth and learning how to trust Jesus even though it really sucks. But our foundation has been made firm. And I am so, so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for the people in our church and our friends who have come alongside us. And they've loved us. But love doesn't always mean that you show the people the easy way out. It means that balance of grace and truth, which I don't love the word balance, but it's true. It's that tension of grace and truth of giving us grace when we needed it and pointing us back to the truth of Jesus and the building blocks of a firm foundation so that we could get to this place when my world shook so hard. The only thing I was left with was Jesus. And I want to be real clear before I go into a story, my favorite story. Um... If you feel like you are standing in a pile of rubble today, that is okay. You are in the right place to start. And there are so many people here that we would love to help you build that firm foundation. And you will have the biggest cheerleaders in your life. But it is not easy. If you've been with us for any amount of time, You might know a little bit of the story of my brother, Will. Um, Like I said, I'm the oldest of five. And my youngest, my brother was the youngest in our family. And there's a 10-year gap in between us. And so there's something super sweet about having that significant age gap where um, you get to be a part of caretaking for your youngest siblings, I'm sure. Heather, you can relate to that. Heidi, you can relate to that. That significant age gap is special. And um, we all, those are my sisters up there too, we all just have um, really different and cool bonds with our brother. Um, My sister Anna is in the striped sweater next to me. And her and Will have cystic fibrosis. It's a genetic disease. 
that they were both born with. And so my brother Will, last summer, had a double lung transplant. And it is something that this church really got to be a part of in praying um, for the miracle of his lungs. And it was just a, so special to Thomas and I. And um, I know probably my family as well. And so Will spent most of his life struggling to breathe. And his double lung transplant last summer, he was given the gift of um, essentially a new life. And organ donation is the coolest representation of the gospel in my eyes because I've actually lived through it. Um, but the sacrifice of another family losing their teenage son got, gave us um, new life with my brother. And so it is just so cool, and I love it so much. So for 11 months, um, Will got to do normal things. That was a picture of him and Thomas hiking, uh, riding his bike. Ba he made the baseball team, but then COVID happened, and he never got to play a game. <laughs> he got to go to school for five days a week, which in his entire life is something he did not get to do. He got to live life as a normal 15-year-old kid. He got his permit. Scared me half, a half to death driving me around. But he was probably the best driver out of all of us. And then um, early May, he went into the hospital. And we found out he was rejecting. So his body... Um, this is actually normal with 80% of transplant patients. They go through a bout of acute rejection. And so that just means they have to kind of just figure out how to adjust medications and things like that um, so that the body doesn't reject the lungs anymore or whatever organ it is. But had a rare kind of rejection that don't know what it is caused by. So he started a month-long treatment, approximately a month-long treatment, to try and see if it would um, re start reversing the rejection. And in early June, uh, a little bit after his year celebration, long anniversary, we found out that that treatment didn't work. And so... Um, he made the choice that he would like to start a second round of treatment. But before that could happen, he made that choice on a Sunday. And actually, it was a really good Sunday. Thomas and I were there. Um, we got to visit with him. My sister brought his dog down. And we just enjoyed, like, the 30 minutes we got with him. Because of COVID, um, my dad and my sister that's a year younger than me, who had the ability to be there full time to help my dad, um, they were the only two people allowed in. And so I occasionally got like 30 minutes a day with him when I was there, and we would see, uh, see each other outside. Um, but then on Monday, June 15th, I got a text from my dad, um, and he said things were declining quickly and that we needed to leave and get there. Uh, so Thomas and I hopped in our car at 10 p.m., and we drove, got into St. Louis about 1. And actually, 
I've not told many people this story, but as we were entering into St. Louis, um, there was a wave of light over our car. And it wasn't like street lights. It was just this bright white light. I can't even explain it. And I heard the Lord say, he will be in glory soon. And I think the Lord knew I needed those words to endure the next 13 hours. Around 2 p.m., uh, we got to do something really special because we didn't have the ability to get him home like we had originally planned. Um, we got to move out to this beautiful rooftop garden. And together as a family, um, we got to spend Will's last few moments here on earth in the garden. And that is so significant to me. At 2.27 p.m., my brother, um, in the garden, in the arms of my earthly father, passed into the arms of our heavenly father. I cannot begin to tell you the deep sadness and pain I have felt over the close to six, these past six weeks. But also how good the Lord has been to me in showing me that I have a firm foundation. that my whole world can feel like it's crumbling. But I still trust him. He's still good. And I only say that not to toot my own horn or be prideful, but to make it very clear that this, if this was five years ago, maybe even two or three years ago, I probably would have walked away completely. Without the firm foundation that my husband and I have worked very, very hard to build together over these past few years, I would have given up. I don't think I could have lost my brother and trusted God at the same time. I don't know if I could endure the pain and the sadness that I feel every single day. And I honestly have no clue when that's going away. And still be able to say, God, you're still good. God, I'm still firmly planted in you. And this is really, really painful right now. But I still trust you. And if I'm being really honest, sometimes I need that little nudge and reminder of those things. And he shows up, and he reminds me that he's still here. And as I was preparing for this message this week, I was sitting on my bed. And I was looking out my window, and we have like this forest backyard. And I was looking at the trees. 
And I was just sitting there, and I asked the Lord, do I ever get to preach a message that isn't from a season of hardship or pain in my life? Like, do I ever just get to get up here and you can give me a word and I'll preach it? And his answer to me was no. So I was like, cool, never signing up to preach again. <laughs> like, my human response was like, out, done. <laughs> but he reminded me, he doesn't call us to live comfortable lives. He is not asking you to live a pain-free life. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, trust me, everything's going to be a breeze. You don't get the luxury of living your life on cruise control as a Christ follower. If you choose to stand on that firm foundation, or even if you, you know Jesus right now, and you feel like you're standing in a pile of rubble and you want to build that up, it's going to suck. It is going to be really, really hard. But what you are left with at the end of all of that is a secure eternity that you get to spend forever with Jesus. James 4.14 says, and I was not intending on using this uh, translation, but I came across it and it was blew me away. It's in the amplified version. It says, yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. Guys, this life, it's but a vapor. And I feel like we take this verse like too lightly, like, oh yeah, that's true. Life is short. Like whatever other earthly saying or quote you could put into that place. But just because it's a vapor doesn't mean it's for nothing. And it may be short in the light of eternity that we get, we get. And there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace or love. Jesus did that for you on the cross. But you are called to live to a higher standard. And he has given you everything you need to build that firm foundation. Literally, you were born and probably placed with the tools in your hands. But we just refuse to pick them up because it's hard. And it takes discipline. And if you are new here or need a refresher course, we did a really cool series, I don't know how long ago, Back to the Basics. And it is literally everything you need. It is like us handing you the tools. All you have to do is listen to the message and then choose to go do that. And building that firm foundation for me and my husband too, um, it meant early mornings. So for a long time, we would wake up at like 5.15 together, chug our coffee, which we put creamer in it for a little bit. I think it's just so that we could get it down fast and wake up. 
and we spent time with the Lord together. Sometimes that was separate. Sometimes that was together. But it was still making that choice to get up early and seek the face of the Lord together. It meant taking scripture reading slow. So I wasn't just like flipping through my Bible, reading something new every day. Sometimes, like I said earlier, I focus on a passage for a month. Because if I just read it one day and then move on with the rest of my life, this isn't going to become truth to me. This isn't going to sink in. And so don't feel like it's a race to read your Bible. Sit and rest in a place for a while. Jesus wants to meet you there. He wants to show you something. But he can't show you something when you're speed reading. It meant actually knowing that prayer wasn't some scripted thing I had to do. It could be just simply talking to the Lord while I'm in my car driving. Or I've learned this best from my friend Sarah Hedman. And we get together, and it's been a while, but we pray weekly. So seek the Lord with other people. Pray with other people. Build a community around you. Because Jesus doesn't want you to do this alone. It meant serving. Getting to church every morning at 7.30, whether my husband was playing in the band or not. And for a good amount of time, he was playing every weekend, so we were here anyways. (laughs) But serving the church. At one point, we did not get the luxury of coming in on a Sunday morning and leaving everything set up. It took intentionality. The willingness to be vulnerable with my husband and people that I trust so that things inside of me didn't stay in the dark any longer, but I could bring them into the light. And I think it takes being more concerned about what we are building towards than building material things here on earth. And what you are building towards, or what you should be building towards as a Christ follower, is the kingdom of heaven. It is the eternity. It is eternity. Your eternity. God gives us the ability to co-create with him. And in some ways, that does mean building material things here on earth because we do have to live life. I'm not telling you to go sell everything and live in a box. But what is, what comes, are you putting God above those things? Or do those things have more value in your life than building the kingdom? And this is actually a lesson I learned best from my brother. He had nothing on Marie Kondo. I think I said that right. Or Becca Schaefer. Becca has some competition. Because he frequently cleaned his room. And he either threw those things away. They made their way to my house with Colton. Or he would text Thomas and say, Hey, Tom, uh, I need you to sell something for me on Facebook. And Thomas has a good, few good stories of some sketchy situations they got into in the Walmart parking lot at 10 p.m. 
And it probably looked like they were going to do a drug deal and he was selling a hoverboard. But when he passed, we weren't left with a bunch of material things to remember him by. There are very few material things I have on this earth to remember my brother by. I do have these fresh kicks that I got to remember him by. (laughs) But instead, we were left with the best stories and a legacy of love. And at the end of the day, the material things you build here on earth, they're going to crumble. They're not going to outlast the eternity that God has waiting for you. And I urge you, take inventory of your life. What is important to you? I think back to that verse in James. What is secure? What really matters to you? And what do you want to be left of you when you're no longer here? I don't want to leave leftovers here. I don't leave something that is secure. I want to leave a legacy built out of love and driven by the love of Jesus. I want to build something that is going to impact the eternity of generations to come. And not because I, w- I want to do it for my own selfish pride. Because, but because I want to spend every single day standing firm on the foundation of the truth of the gospel. I want to wake up every morning and that be my driving force. And if you are here this morning, in whatever capacity or whatever these words hit your ears, I want you to know that the truth of the gospel, it's valid for you. It is not something that is only set aside for a select group of people. You have access to it. God loves you so, so much. And he sent his son to die for you. So that not only could you be in a relationship with him and spend eternity with him, so that you could live a life full of joy even in the midst of painful things. And I don't know if I have ever felt the truth or the weight of the gospel as heavy upon me as I do now. And not heavy in a bad way, but heavy in a way that I want to live the rest of my life in the light of that. And as we close, whether you are taking inventory of your life and what is important to you, and you just need to step forward and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to be pruned. And I know that there's going to be some hard things I have to go through, but I am ready. Or if you're ready to step forward and make a choice for Jesus, because he's ready for you. He is standing right now arms wide open, ready for you to meet him. Because he loves you. And he wants you and he's chosen you. The words of these songs, 
this song, I actually didn't pick it. It's just the timing and the irony of God. Um, these lyrics played through my head for the last 13 hours of my brother's life. And again, I'm not going to sing for you. This says, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? And no matter what, he's going to be here. He's in this room. He is in this place. And he is just ready for you to say, I'm not enough. God, I don't have it in me. But I want to meet you right here, Jesus. Please come. Please meet me. And if you feel any urge to move forward, do so as we close. And you don't have to sing those words out loud if you're not ready. You can sing them inside your heart. I was not belting those lyrics in a hospital room for 13 hours. But I just sang them quietly in my heart to Jesus. And that's okay too. Father, we love you so, so much. And we ask just meet us here. And as we leave this place, meet us in the middle of our pain. Meet us in the middle of our hardship. Lord, show us what step we need to take next. Whether that is a step forward to trusting in you, Jesus, or that is a step forward of removing things out of our life. We are ready. I know I'm ready, Lord, for all that you have for me. And it's not always going to be easy. But you're right here with us in it. And Jesus, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that you chose to die for us because we are inadequate. Thank you that you chose to die for me, Jesus, because I will never be enough. But my eternity is set forever in heaven because of you. You are so, so good. Help us endure the things that you have called us to in this life, Lord. Help us to keep running back to you. Help us to build a firm foundation in you. Show us what work we need to put in. Because Jesus, it is so much more than just knowing of you. It is pursuing a relationship with you. Actively making that decision to be in relationship with you. I know a lot of people here on this earth, Lord. But there's no one that knows me like you do. And I praise you for that. And thank you, Lord, that you know every ugly part of me, every beautiful part of me, and you still choose me anyways. 
and you leave me the decision to choose you. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Help our hearts turn in worship towards you right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.